Good afternoon, South Caruso, Internet World, West Alabama. Everybody who's watching us on Bama Central and BamaCentral.com. This is the Joe Gaither Show right here on Bama Central and BamaCentral.com. You're watching us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on Amazon. Of course, I am Joe Gaither. You can follow me at Joe Gaither6 on all the social media accounts. Send me a like, a comment, question, query, most importantly, the complaints right there at all the social media sites right there. Join us on our other Bama Central Broadcasting Network podcast, Blue Collar Unplugged. We are 18 days away from Alabama tipping off, so Blue Collar Unplugged with Jacob Pickle, Matthew Gibson, and Blake Byler will be cranking up uh, full time here pretty soon. We had a lot of fun on Wednesday talking to the who's who in SEC Media Basketball edition up in Birmingham, and then we were also up there on Thursday talking to Christy Curry, Christy Curry, uh, Loyal McQueen, and Sarah Ashley Barker, so we appreciate everybody who gave us a little bit the time this week if you missed any of those episodes you can check them out right there on all the platforms i just mentioned but we are back to talking football yesterday we talked to dan harrelson of ballswire.com and he was very very gracious with his time right after uh coming on the road he drove from knoxville to birmingham so he just landed and gave me 30 minutes of his time so that was great yesterday as well so we are on to the third saturday in october it's football friday what do we do every week, every Friday on BamaCentral.com? It's Football Friday. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to be joined by all of our Bama Central friends, and we're going to talk about Alabama and Tennessee, the third Saturday in October. Alabama losing last year. The streak was broken, but now Tennessee tries to start their own streak. You cannot have a winning streak until you win two games. So, We'll see what Josh Heupel and uh, Joe Milton and them boys bring to Tuscaloosa. More importantly, the Tennessee defense. How Alabama's offensive line can work with the Tennessee uh, work against the Tennessee defense. Uh, Coach Saban very vocal this week about Alabama's performance last week against Arkansas. So let's get the conversation rolling. Let's have a great day with our friends Katie Wyndham and Wyatt Fulton. We will find our friend Chris Walsh uh, fairly soon. Yeah, let's do it like that. We'll, uh, we'll find Chris Walsh fairly soon. I think Austin Hannon said he's calling out for the day. He's gotten too many picks correct, so he wants to give everybody else a chance to shine. So, without further ado, Katie Wyndham, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Joe. I did when you said, what do we do every Friday? I realize it seems like my Wi-Fi is probably going to have issues again, so everyone just be prepared for me to freeze at some point and have to inevitably switch to my hotspot. So. It is A-OK. We appreciate you hanging out with us anyways. And Wyatt Fulton joins us. We haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. How are you, man? How's life been? Life's going good. Everything's going good. I had to, I had to take a step back, a long step back, and reevaluate everything after I just completely whiffed on the Texas pick. <laughs> well, we're going to hopefully uh, ho hopefully you get the next UT pick correct uh, as Tennessee comes to town. Obviously, big, big game for Alabama. You gonna you got a couple factors playing in it, playing in one. Obviously, you got to keep uh, keep your lead in the SEC West Two, You've got to uh, hopefully, uh, I don't know, get revenge. And you can read Will Miller's revenge piece right there on BamaCentral.com. You've got you caught up with Paul Feinbaum, Bill Battle, and several other Baron Huber, Knoxville native Baron Huber, uh, about the Alabama-Tennessee rivalry. So you can read that right there on the cover at BamaCentral.com to talk about revenge. And then really, you got kind of the lackluster performance last week at play. So three kind of real 
interesting aspects at play for Alabama this weekend. Katie Wyndham, how has your week gone as you've thought about this game? Everybody, you know, kind of wakes up on Sunday feeling some kind of way. And now that we're here on Friday, the th- feelings or thoughts may have changed. How have you thought, felt or thought about this weekend's matchup with Tennessee? I just feel like it, the the more the week goes on, you know, it's kind of odd the way our football coverage goes and that it's the week is so front loaded as far as like us talking to the players and Saban and then, you know, my off day is Wednesday. So I'm not there with Saban on Wednesday. But like, I feel like it, it things do change throughout the week. And this, this Alabama team, I just can't figure out, you know, we, we, we see them at A&M win a tough game on the, I, well, I think the one thing we've seen is the resiliency to win, which is what Saban has said, which that, you know, at the end of the day, it, he talked last week, which is what I wrote about, about you got to stop just winning the games, but beating the opponents. At the end of the day, as long as you win all the games, you're, you're going to be in a good position, even though we've kind of looked at some interesting scenarios this week of what could happen at the end of the year, if there's a bunch of undefeated, uh, you know, conference champions, but I don't know. I, I haven't watched Tennessee a ton this year. I watched a little bit of their the end of their game last week against A&M when I got home from Bryant-Denny. Um, they, they were, uh, you know, I mean, they, they deserved to win that game, but they were also fortunate in a sense to win it at home with some of the turnovers that A&M had, which credit to them for forcing those turnovers. But this is a Tennessee offense that struggled a little bit, and this Alabama defense is really good. So it, it, it's going to come down to, I think, what it's come down to all year is can the Alabama offense do enough? Because I think the defense is going to do enough um, to to be able to to win you this game and a bunch of the games moving forward. Why Fulton, same feeling. What should have been your thoughts and how has it changed throughout the week? I've actually seen I've actually seen a lot of people shift their focus, saying how you know Tennessee's really struggled on the road dating back to last season and things like that. And so with this being in Bryant Denny. I think Alabama's given a much better chance. Uh, Tennessee, like I said, Tennessee struggled on the road. Georgia, South Carolina last season at Florida this year, all were big, big issues on the road and things like that. And uh, really and truly, it's going to come down to Alabama's offense. Can they make the plays when they need to make them? A hundred percent. And Tennessee, uh, Tennessee, this will be their first real road game since the Florida game, and they've only really gone out of out out of a. Uh, uh, Neyland Stadium that one time against Florida and put on kind of a putrid performance in, in, in a place where a lot of Tennessee fans were feeling like this was their year to win down in the swamp, kind of came out and fell flat on their face in, in, in Florida. And I guess if you guys have listened to the show a whole lot, I don't have a very high opinion of Florida. Uh, it's, but So it's going to be interesting this weekend. Uh, the real question, I guess the next ma- major question, and uh, and Wyatt, you'll go first here, and then Katie will talk about it after that, is the offensive line. The Alabama offensive line has been – Oh, gosh. It's been up and down. I mean, you watched their performance against AM. Yes, you gave up five sacks, but you also handled their pressure in a lot of other places and allowed J- Jalen Milrow to find J- Jermaine Burton in certain areas. Okay, so last week, Alabama gets the running game going a good bit with Ar- against Arkansas, but you also gave up five sacks again and four, three and a half to Landon Jackson, a def- defensive end right off the edge around Caden Proctor and Elijah Pritchett. So the focus has been on the left tackle. But the whole offensive line has shifted and shuffled all year long. You've seen Darian Dalcord in the starting lineup. You've seen TJ Ferguson get a lot of reps. Now he's been a little injured. Coach saying that he's a little bit more closer to 100%. Jaden Roberts jumping into the starting lineup. You've seen lots of combinations on the offensive line. Uh, and there have been moments 
moments where the offensive line has looked like you want it to look. You only gave up two sacks against Middle Tennessee. Sure, it's Middle Tennessee, but you played pretty well in certain spots, but also pretty ugly, poorly in other spots. Coach Saban this week, Wyatt, saying that the offensive line issues haven't necessarily been a physical issue, but have been a communication issue. He talked about one of the sacks that Elijah Pritchett gave up to the inside, uh, saying, oh, you had help. Or, no, no, excuse me. Caden Proctor gave up to the outside, saying, oh, if you know you have help to the inside, why get beat to the outside? You got to kind of play to your schemes a little bit. So, Wyatt, what's going to be – look, we're seven weeks in, eight weeks in now. Uh, what's the – thought process on the offensive line when are we going to see some consistency and and, and what's going to be what's going to take to see a good 60 minute performance on both passing and running the football out of the offensive line I think it's a lot yeah obviously you know Caden Proctor has struggled early this season and things like that and uh and so really and truly teams are like there we've played enough games at this point that teams are seeing this on film you know Teams will watch the last, you know, four or five games. Well, they've seen Caden Proctor consistently struggle the last four or five games. So they're going to keep sending extra pressure at him, send blitzes his way, which is making him have to process a little bit faster, make him have to realize, okay, I need to recognize where my help is and I need to be able to identify who's coming on a blitz and things like that. So I think being able to help him, like Coach Saban had said, you know, with Tyler Booker being on that left guard spot, I think that would be very, I think that's very helpful. I also think maybe adding a chip or a block or, you know, keeping the running back in to block or maybe adding a tight end over there. I know we have several tight ends that are very good blockers and things like that. So just kind of adding some help to Caden Proctor. And of course the entire offensive line as a whole has really struggled this season. So just, I don't know if necessarily they may need to, you know, break the huddle faster or get to the line of scrimmage. I don't know if obviously Texas A&M, you know, a stadium like that can really mess with your, can really mess with your communication and things like that. So it gets a little bit tougher to kind of decide, okay, this blitz is coming from here and I need to help somebody out. So, but just maybe break the huddle a little bit quicker or, you know, I'm no, I'm no offensive line expert, obviously. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt, what I'm saying. Well, the next game that either any of us coach will be our first. Actually, no, Katie who coached an A-Day game. Yeah, Katie coached an A-Day game. So she's got a little more experience than the rest of us. Katie, what's the confidence level? We've heard many ideas of how to fix it and why it threw out a bunch of them. But what's the confidence level that it's going to be improved this weekend now that we're eight weeks in? I mean, mine is not super high that things are going to change eight weeks in, even though there has been a huge you know, emphasis on it. I think we saw actually a super honest moment with Saban on Monday, not to say that he's not always honest with us, but I'm not going to say that he always <laughs> is. When he, uh, I can't remember if it was Rodak asked him one of the other questions about the offensive line, he said, you know, you would like to hope that if we make the switch from right to left with J.C. Lathan, that that would solve all the problems, but then you, have any, but then you don't know who you're going to put at right tackle. And he said – um, you know, no one knows the answer to that. I think that was a little vulnerable, honest moment from Saban. They don't know. They're, obviously, they've been trying to figure out what, what the answer is at offensive line. They've tried two different guys at left tackle. Um, you have put in a different guy, a, a guard with Jaden Roberts, and I think that's helped some um, the last couple weeks. But I also think maybe I've with, – with all the questions this week about the left side of the offensive line to Saban and the players about the young guys on the left side – I think maybe I've had a little bit more of a human moment of of realizing that, uh, you know, Proctor's a true freshman. Pritchett's a redshirt freshman, didn't really play last year because of his sh- shoulder injury, I think, something yeah. he had in offseason. Um, he is a redshirt freshman, right? Because he was redshirt last yes. year. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
I think he had a pec or a shoulder issue last year, but he didn't really play. Yeah. And, like, there, there's a reason that, you know, freshmen don't start at left tackle very often. It's it's a tough position to be thrown into. And so, um, I'm not – obviously, Proctor was very highly rated, was highly sought after. Alabama flipped him uh, from Iowa. And Alabama obviously saw something in him that they had confidence to start him right away. But there is going to be, I think um, – a learning curve that we've seen through seven games so far. Um, and, and I don't know what Saban said on Monday too, about they're having, you know, a commitment to try to have some stability along the line. Um, but then you say that, and then you've been switching, you know, who is left tackle through a different series. And so I wonder if that has something to do with it. Cause every week I think, uh, I can't remember if it was before A&M one week, uh, me and Austin did for our just a minute, like, well, Alabama give up less sacks. And it's like, no, the answer is last week against Arkansas. <laughs> Uh, in the back of the press box before the game started, me and Tony Sukalas and Chase Goodbread were sitting at the table. We were talking about the over-under of sacks for that game, total for both teams. I think we set it at either seven and a half or eight and a half, and we almost hit that in the first half of the game. Um, and so you just – because I think a lot of times this season, I, I think maybe – look, the sack numbers is ugly. The total number is ugly. Saban said, hell yeah, he's concerned about that on Monday. <laughs> but I think a lot of times this season you could put the sacks on Milrow uh, too. Last week they weren't – he just – it was a lot of just getting beat on the left side of the line, not a lot of time to throw. So I don't think it, it – if you look at the number total itself, it's a very ugly number, um, especially when I was kind of looking at some of the numbers across the country and a team like Oregon, I think has given up like four sacks all year. And it's like, that's, you know, one half for Alabama. Um, but when you look at some, sometimes it has been middle holding on to the ball for too long or trying to do something he maybe shouldn't or not throwing it away or whatever. But a lot of it has just been um, guys getting beat maybe because there has been so much focus on it. Um, it will be something that, that they can fix this week. I think maybe if you just see – I think if you see three sacks or less for Alabama given up, I think that would be obviously an improvement, uh, especially – I mean, because, too, Tennessee does have a good, you know, defensive front that it's going to be a challenge. But Because th the thing is, we've seen Alabama give up these sacks to teams that, you know, no disrespect, don't have as good of offense – I mean, of defensive lines. We saw them give up, what, five sacks at USF? Yes. So, um you know, it, it, Mississippi State. Yeah, I don't know if this week is necessarily a fair way to assess them because you are going against a talented pass rush against Tennessee, but it'll be a good test maybe to see like where they are and if they have improved. Um, and then the good thing is, is you have uh, after this week to buy to maybe rest up, get recovered, and figure some more things out as you head into the important final month of the season. Coach Saban last night on Hey Coach talking about the offensive line and uh, why you must have been listening to Pee Wee's call because <laughs> Coach Saban asked Pee Wee what he would do and Pee Wee said, well, I'd chip him with the back and I'd chip him with the tight end and that's exactly – and Coach said, well, those are good ideas. <laughs> uh, you had a, a caller last night say, Coach, why don't we flip the tackles and the guards? And Coach was like, I don't think that that's going to work. <laughs> uh, uh, he was said it very respectfully, but it was kind of like, a, I don't think you know what you're talking about about buddy <laughs> um but coach alluded katie to your to your point as well that uh caden proctor and elijah pritchett are young players and he basically talked about the effects of the transfer portal where you've seen he said oh we lost juniors and seniors and we've replaced them with freshmen and redshirt freshmen and he said sometimes that takes time he said everybody wants to uh everybody wants to just think Alabama can replace a player and they're going to get an all pro NFL level uh, type player, but that's not always the case. And so it's going to be interesting. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting this weekend. Tennessee, I think is second in the nation in sacks. 
but and I think a lot of people have made a lot about that number. But you went into the AM game, and AM was top three, top four in the nation in sacks. And yes, they did get after Milrow to her what four or five sacks. And to your point again, Katie, that Milrow did hold on to a couple of balls, uh, a couple of passing opportunities too long. But you're still able to have good pass protection yeah. throughout the game uh, and find Jermaine Burton, find Isaiah Bond underneath a little bit. Uh, the running game wasn't really that good. But you're able to throw the ball over 300 yards, and the offense put up the 26 points. You would have had, what, uh, 32? Uh, no, you uh, you would have had 30, right? Uh, you would have had 30 with the, uh, with, the, with the field goal block if it had not been uh, not been called for a blindside block. So, like, yeah, Alabama's had pass protection issues and had offensive line issues, but they found ways uh, to the very first question. They found ways to basically get around that throughout the entire season. Tennessee's offense has struggled in many fa- in similar fashions, not necessarily in the running game. Their running game has been very, very strong throughout the year. But Joe Milton, he's dealt with lots of accuracy issues. He threw an interception into the end zone against uh, Texas A&M. Yes, they beat South Carolina, but threw an intercept, a bad interception right over the middle of the field uh, early in the game. I'm wondering if uh, this Alabama, de- the defensive backs. Now, uh, our man, our man Austin, our, our man Austin Hannon uh, reported that Malachi Moore was going to be questionable, and that seems like a small step back from last week's availability, and that's a little upsetting or concerning from the Alabama side. But if Malachi Moore is able to go. The defensive backfield, I think, might have an opportunity to really get after Joe Milton and make some turnovers. You turn Tennessee over, you can turn a close game into uh, into a comfortable game uh, real early. So, Katie, talk about what we saw last week from the defensive backs without Malachi Moore, but also what he can add to this uh, to the unit when coming back to the uh, coming back in. And then, obviously, Tennessee, they've lost uh, Brew McCoy, unfortunate, terrible injury. They've got a, a good wide receiver in Squirrel White. But really, I favor the Alabama defensive backs in that matchup. Yeah, I agree. I think we talked about, or me and Austin talked about it on Just a Minute this week. I think a big difference in that that Arkansas game uh, last week, uh, not just the offense struggled in the second half, but the defense has done a good job this season of getting turnovers, but they they weren't able to get one on Saturday. And I think that kind of hurt the team as a whole in the offense because we've We've heard the players talk about how the offense and defense feed off of each other. Um, and so when the defense wasn't able to get a turnover and maybe give the offense the ball in you know better field position or kind of swing the momentum of the game or get the crowd really into it, I think that hurt a little bit. But I can't remember if I heard this on the radio when I was driving back from Brighton or if they said it on the broadcast of the Tennessee AM game that Joe Milton had one of the longest like interception list streaks in the country. And then I think he has four in his three SEC games right now. So it is a big opportunity for the Alabama defense, especially the defensive backs, to get kind of back into that um, interception mode. I, I wrote about that two weeks ago, how they already have as many interceptions this season as they did all of last year, which that might have been a little bit of a writer's uh, curse or jinx before the game on Saturday since they didn't get one. Um, but I, it, it is a big opportunity for them. I think last week maybe we saw uh, in that second half against Arkansas a little bit of Malachi – when he was out and other guys were playing in the different positions, some of the miscommunication and maybe guys not being in the right spot or some guys uh, getting beat that aren't um, there's a reason they weren't, they haven't been the starters this year and are kind of the second string. Um, So it will be big for that defense if he's back, but I also think if he doesn't go, you've now had two weeks of practice with guys in those positions. Um, 
And so maybe guys will be a little bit more comfortable, but um, I agree, especially if like, like you said, Tennessee's been a run heavy team so far this year, that if the, the Alabama defensive front can stop that run and force Milton to throw, maybe force them into mistakes. If the, the outside backers can get the pressure they've been getting all year, force them to throw a little early. Uh, it would be huge for this game. And like you said, kind of change it from a close game to a more comfortable game if Alabama can force some turnovers on Milton. Why, what's your confidence level that Alabama's defense will be able to uh, slow down and or stop the Tennessee running game? I think I think Alabama, I'm very high, very confident in Alabama's defense. And, uh, you know, I think really and truly because of the lack of a passing game that Tennessee has had and the lack – I won't say the lack of the ability Joe Milton's shown to throw the ball because he can he can throw some deep balls but like with the rest of them. But I I would say Alabama has a solid chance to leave their corners on islands. Both Kool-Aid McKinstry and Terry on Arnold have both shown that they can, you know, really stand their own in the passing game and things like that and just apply pressure, load up in the box and try and slow down this uh really effective running game. All right, so we're joined now by Christopher Walsh, the um, owner of BamaCentral.com, all of our bosses, and the man, the myth, the legend. We want to know, Chris, we've talked about just general thoughts on Tennessee. We've talked about Alabama's offensive line issues so far. We talked just a little bit on the Tennessee defense against Joe Milton just now. But I want to know about the significance of the third Saturday in October from you. I want to know about really – because. Obviously, last year's game really ramped things up, but you went 15 years in a row, 16 years in a row of Alabama dominance. And now with, that, with Tennessee's win last year, the game this year, and then the pending schedule changes going forward, kind of a big picture question on the significance of the Tennessee rivalry, where it's been, where it is now, and maybe well, where it goes with it maybe not being on the schedule each and every day. But first, I want to know, how are you doing today? How's your Friday going? <laughs> I'm fine. It's it's uh it's good to see you guys. Uh I, you know, I like how Wyatt has the Princess Leia headphones on. Uh and you know, so it's great to see Katie, our, our our rock star uh lead writer. Um and I'm not citing you, Joe. Always good to see you. So there we go. All right, now that I got everybody. Um it, you know, it's funny because I was doing Lars Anderson's uh show yesterday, and Lars is a, a friend of ours obviously and he was asking me it was like when when did the uh when did the third saturday you know in october really kind of when did you kind of realize that what a big deal it was and just off the cuff i said probably when roman harper knocked that ball loose on the guy running in the end zone and i thought about it beforehand or i thought about it a little bit last night and i was like you know what that's not actually right and um i i I'm going to, I'm not going to give you a clear answer because I'm going to use it as a tease. Uh, I'm going to put it together on what I think the third Saturday really means, what this rivalry really means. We're going to, have, we're going to post it Saturday morning. Um, and it's one of those stories. If you know it, it's, it's like, oh yeah. And if you don't know it, you're going to be like, you've got to be kidding me. And, um, and, and here's my hint. If, and, it's I, I'm, I'm going to be looking at your guys' faces because it's like it's going to be a dead giveaway. Bully Vandegraaff. Wow, you guys don't know the story. Okay, well, I'm going to have to read it on BamaCentral.com tomorrow. Bully Vandegraaff. Keep tease. Keep going. 
Or, or yeah, I don't want not right. giving it away. It's perfect. that good. All right, perfect. So, so we're gonna look for bully Vandergraaf story tomorrow on BamaCentral.com <laughs> right there on the cover to get you ready for the ball game tomorrow. Coach Saban talked about it just a little bit yesterday. Jenny Dale kind of teased him into uh the very first question last night on Hey Coach, what's the revenge factor? All the players this week have been calling it a personal game. And Coach Saban said, Well, you know, I don't know the revenge is a play, but coach alluded to how meaningful the game was on both sides. And he said, okay, if you look back at, uh, or if you look at both stadiums, Neyland Stadium and Bryant-Denny Stadium, he said both stadiums are uh, are named after the men who really ramped up and made this rivalry important. And so I'm really excited about it. Like, really, like okay, being from right there on the Tennessee-Georgia line in Chattanooga, I have a lot of Tennessee fan friends that I grew up. So it's been important to me just to uh, – keep one over on them for, for, for a long, long time. Uh, last year, a lot of my friends got it back. And so you've heard for 365 days, oh my gosh, you know, the Tennessee's back, this, that, and the other. Katie, you were up there in Knoxville last year. And you told us the last time, you you, you told us about being down at AM two years ago when AM rushed the field. Were you on the field when, when everything went down in Knoxville? Obviously, pandemonium from, from the television screen from right here in my living room. And it looked like... Uh, a crazy, crazy time. You saw you saw Peyton Manning getting his cigar lit up by Tennessee friends. My friend sent me that photo today. He said, "I hope that Tennessee fan has that framed in his in his living room." I said, "I'm sure he does." <laughs> so, uh, uh, what was it like down there on the field? The ugly. I mean, first Jameer Gibbs drops the ball. Oh, Jameer Gibbs! If he catches that ball, Alabama's probably kicking a ten uh, a twenty yard field goal to win. All right, so Jameer drops the ball. Tennessee goes the other way, 30, 40 yards in about 12 seconds, and then they kick an ugly, ugly field goal, but doesn't matter, went through the uprights, and the pandemonium started. So with that being the scene set, what was it like down there? Yeah, I was down there. We'd gone down there, me and Joey Blackwell, with a couple minutes to go, and I believe I was standing on the Alabama sideline, and I was about even with where uh, Alabama was on on their last drive. Um, so I see Gibbs drop the ball. Then you have the two other incompletions. And then when Riker misses the field goal, I tell Joey, I just, I just had a feeling. I said, we need to start heading towards the tunnel. And so, <laughs> as, as, so then as, so we're standing on this side and Al, and Alabama misses the kick going this way. So then Tennessee gets the ball and they start driving this way. Me and Joey start going that way, closer and closer to the Alabama tunnel. Um, we're basically, I think maybe I'm trying to remember if we were underneath, uh, or like behind the, the field goal, or if we were still on the sideline when he kicked it through, I think we were behind it. Cause basically I knew obviously if Tennessee wins, these fans are storming the field. Um, so as soon as he kicks it through, we go into the tunnel a little bit and it actually has ended up being one of our, um, <laughs> most popular videos on YouTube ever of me capturing some of the footage of, uh, the Alabama players and coaches kind of going to the locker room, some Tennessee fans trying to head that way and get a clothesline <laughs> by Jay Bat. But um, so we were just kind of down there and it, it was a, you could sense the frustration on the Alabama players. I mean, I could still see the Tennessee fans, but I was kind of staying out of the way because I didn't want to get, you know, jumped on ball. Uh, not that like anyone would intentionally do that to me. It's just when you're in the middle of thousands, thousands of people, people get trampled. Um, so I was just trying to stay safe. And then because anytime there's a field storming, if you're not already down there, if you're not already close to the tunnel, it's extremely difficult to get to the post game because 
there's either security either letting people not letting people on the field anymore. It's just tough to get through the crowds, people. So we were some of the very few people that even made it to the Saban post game. And so um, probably for the one and only time in my career, I got two post game questions for Nick Saban because there were <laughs> like three reporters in there. Um, and so I got the first question too, which is also pretty rare and I asked him about why they threw it three straight times when you had the ball ball with what 40 seconds left or less than a minute and the chance to win the game. Um, but yeah, it was a crazy, uh, it was a crazy atmosphere. And I guess when we came back out from the post game, um, from talking to Saban and the players, cause they brought in Bryce Young, they brought in, um, Byron Young, they brought in Henry Totoa, uh, maybe someone else. I guess when we came back out, most of the fans had cleared off the field before we went up to the press box. But, um, yeah, I kind of, after being at a the year before, I'd kind of learned to sense when a field storming is coming and uh, knew where to go. Now, LSU, a, co- a month, a couple weeks later, that since that game was in overtime, I was not down on the field for that one. And so we had we did have to fight through the crowd to get to the post game, which was a whole, whole ordeal. All right, Wyatt, so I'm going to throw you a controversial question. Be ready. Here we go. Jermaine Burton gets in trouble. Gets a lot of uh, gets a lot of social media interaction. Gets in trouble for shoving, hitting, pushing, getting uh, or defending himself. Whatever your perspective is, uh, he, he was making contact with a Tennessee fan, uh, a female fan, which uh, I don't really love that very much. But I also kind of feel like if you storm the field, you're taking your own well-being into your own hands. All right. So first part of the question is your reaction to Jermaine Burton, Coach Saban, not really suspending him. And then secondly, you saw Jermaine Burton two weeks ago against AM put up a great, great game and really was mm, vocal, uh, was, uh, was demonstrative uh, throughout the game. He got himself a, a, an unsportsmanlike conduct. He also had some de- demonstrative moments against Arkansas last week. So what are we going to expect from Jermaine Burton this week with the backdrop of, oh, my gosh, I was the uh, kind of subject, the center of attention after the game for my antics. Uh, you can talk about field storming if you want to. Please do. But really uh, throw it back into context of this weekend. What can we expect out of Jermaine Burton this weekend uh, against Tennessee? Yeah, to kind of just open up the, real quick about your uh, your point about field storming and things like that, I could. I've never been a part of a field storming. I've seen a field storming. I was in uh, – where was it? We lost is the big point there, and this field got stormed, obviously. And so I've, I've seen the pandemonium. I can't imagine – you know, you're a player. You are you have so many emotions. Emotions are running high, and now you've got people that are just flying left and right and things like that. You have no idea who's about to step in your way. And, and really and truly, I this is my opinion – you know, everybody's got opinions, so take it with a grain of salt. But my opinion is if you step on the field, you're you're you might get you might get caught lacking a little bit. You might get caught sleeping here for a second. And so, you know, do I do I think Burton probably should have swung on her? Obviously not. No, but I mean his emotions were high, and at that point he was just trying to he was trying to get off the field safely. And so should he have been suspended? Maybe we don't we don't know what his discipline was. He may have, you know, faced discipline after practice or during practice or something like that. Maybe not, you know, in a game situation. But and with with Texas a and I I am for one. I like when players talk. I like when players show their show their at, or their um, attitude and things like that on the field and around the field and things like that. So 
he's gotten one unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, I think, in his two years at Alabama with all the talking and stuff that he does. Fans Only won. one? That's breaking. That's that's news to me. Fans wanted another Tony Brown, and now we're mad that we've got another Tony Brown. Like, I, <laughs> you can't have your cake and eat it too at this point. So, you know, but I think I think you will see a good game from Burton. He's he's on another level right now when it comes to 50-50 passes and things like that right now. So I do think you see a big Jermaine Burton game here. Uh, if he gets going early, I, I'm not going to say, you know, he's going for another 200 yards like he did against A&M, but, but I do think you see a score, and I do think you see a, good, a big Jermaine Burton game here. Chris, build off that because you've seen this this year uh, Ole Miss fan jumping into the face of an LSU player on the uh, after field storming and uh, called him some nasty names. But then what last week or two, yeah last week uh, a Notre Dame fan runs up and uh, runs up on Caleb Williams and says, ah, "Show me your nails now! Show me your fingernails now!" And uh, Caleb Williams is walking with a security guard who basically protected him in that moment. But what's your opinion of uh, of opposing fans rushing the field and really? the dangerous situation that that becomes it is dangerous and i know i'm gonna get kind of uh called the guy you know get off my lawn kind of thing when i say this uh they gotta stop it it's it's really really dangerous and the first time i was actually on a field when there was when it was stormed was um arizona arizona state and you would probably sit there and go, why on earth are they storming the field? You know, Arizona, Arizona State. It's a big robbery. Yeah. And so. Um, What's up? You know, I, it was, I was, um, I, I was in Arizona when Arizona won and they stormed the field. I was at Arizona State when Arizona State won the field, uh, stormed the field. And then, and this is really odd. I was there when the Arizona Cardinals clinched a playoff spot. And the fans from the field. Um, oh. Swear it's true. Um, it, so in right up Red Sea, uh, it, they're scary. And like um, when the kick six happened, I had an I had an Auburn guy. He's running. He's not looking where he goes. Totally ran me over. Um, I could have been seriously hurt. And and you know I'm six foot four. You know, yeah. You know, but you know you get plowed into from behind by a guy running full steam. Yeah, it, it hurts. Um, but like at that the Arizona-Arizona State game, I, I, I sat there and watched guys. I was in the tunnel, and the, the goalpost is right in front of the tunnel, and I'm watching these guys trying to climb it, and they're being total idiots. And one <laughs> of them lands straight down on his head. I was like, I just saw somebody die, you know? Um, and fortunately, the, you know, the guy ended up being, you know, okay. But uh, it's actually – it's. It's probably the least um, potential for damage is actually to the football players themselves because they've got pads, you know. They can put on a helmet if, if, if the fans are being moronic. But, you know, you got that many bodies squishing together, you know, you never know what can happen. Anyway, so there's my um, get-off-my-lawn speech. But it's – they got to do something to stop this, uh, curtail it. But that environment at Tennessee was absolutely unreal. You know, and because Alabama had won, what was it, 15 games in a row? Mm -hmm. Those fans, the term I was using when I was when when the game was going on, I was like, these guys, these fans are foaming at the mouth. Yes, I mean, and, and look, we know college football fans are crazy. We know Alabama fans are crazy. We know Tennessee fans are crazy. It's a different kind of crazy, but it's you put them in a situation like that. Holy cow! Yeah. What 
an environment that was. So you tip your hat a little bit to Tennessee for pulling off the win. Josh Heupel, uh, staff did it. You know, they did what they had to do to win the game. Um, but it's, you know, you keep hearing the SEC talking about we're trying to figure out ways to stop this. I don't know any way to do it except for you put like, you know, 50 security guards, you know, at, at every single, um, you know, exit entrance and, and basically, you know, it, do something like that. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. So um, what was the question? <laughs> I just wanted you to build off the field storming. That's all, and, and and you did a perfect job. My my thought to stop it, Chris, and my biggest idea to stop it is when Tennessee storms the field. All right, big win. Well, Alabama, obviously, they're coming back to Tuscaloosa this year already on the schedule. Well, if Tennessee storms the field last year, Alabama gets to host the next two games instead of so. So you, I mean, you get the the game that's already on the schedule, but the following year as well is back in Tuscaloosa as well. As well, so I, I know you, you you sacrifice a home gate, you sacrifice a, a city of uh you know an economic impact of a home weekend as well, and the fans have to come to Tuscaloosa two years in a row. That's my that that that's or, or maybe just somewhere down the line, but it's. It, this this is really kind of a unique thing for Alabama. Like I, I I'll never forget when I was on the field, uh, South Carolina game when when uh, 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 Stephen Garcia pulled off the win, you know, with Spurrier, and I'm standing next to Tony Barnhart, you know, Mr. Football, Mr. College Football. I'm like Tony, you ever been on a field that's been stormed? He said no. I was like, it's dangerous, you know, watch out. And just as I said it, this fan comes running out of nowhere. The game's not even over yet. Sure. And three cops tackle him on the sideline right behind Tony. And Tony's like, what's going on kind of thing. And sure enough, South Carolina pulled off the win and the fans stormed the field. And um, leaving South Carolina was interesting that night because every single fan, it's it's one of those places uh, uh, that where the parking area is nowhere near where the stadium is. And after a win like that, you know, the people who are doing the shuttle service, they're out celebrating. So you had to walk all the way. Every single South Carolina fan made sure to stop every reporter they saw and scream at them. It's really fun. Well, Katie, we're all in context of the third Saturday in October. Alabama is an eight, nine and a half point favorite. We'll do picks here in just a little bit. We're about to be at 45. We'll start doing picks about 45. Okay, so what is our biggest thing that we haven't mentioned so far that you think are the keys to victory for Alabama or storylines that people need to pay attention to or anything that you think, okay, this is what I'm looking for in the Bryant-Denny Stadium press box on Saturday? I think just from an Alabama perspective, will this be the game that they finally put it together? Saban said, or after Saban said the thing last week about not just winning the game, beating the opponent, I went around and asked all the players they brought out about that. And I think all of them said something along the lines of, we have to play a 60-minute game. So is this the game that they play 60 minutes? You're eight games into the season now. Is this a game that we see Alabama put together a complete performance on defense, offense? Are they able to have a balanced offensive attack where three weeks ago at Mississippi State, we saw Alabama run the ball. Two weeks ago, we saw them pass the ball at A&M. Last week, we saw them have a successful first half, and then the second half was just like neither on offense. So is this the game that we see uh, a more balanced performance from Alabama, a complete 16-minute performance where they either don't let off the gas or – because Saban was kind of asked about that a lot on McAfee yesterday about how do you you know play it with the, um, and or three point win you lost the game yeah if any of us <laughs> dared to say anything like that ever it would not be good but um, 
yeah, that's that's kind of the the thing I'm looking for, and like always, kind of like that. What I hit on earlier is I think the turnover battle is going to be big in this one. White Fulton, what's the biggest aspect that we haven't hit on, or something that you're going to be paying attention to for this weekend's game uh, against Tennessee? We talked about the defense, and I, and I think the pass rush and loading the box is going to be important as well. But I really am looking at safety play here. Like we said, Joe Milton's got a huge arm. He and Milrow. I would not be shocked if he and Miller are just dropping 60 yard bombs all day long, you know, be a straight up heart attack, but it wouldn't shock me. So I think safety play is going to be really big. You know, we saw the safety struggle with uh, letting guys behind them in coverage assignments and things like that against Texas at home. So, you know, just seeing that progression and seeing things like that, obviously Caleb Downs, true freshman has, you know, he's had a lot of games now, or he's had a couple games now under his belt to really learn and develop and things like that. Chris Walsh, you missed the earlier part, so it's okay if you double up on something. But what are so like maybe your one, two, three biggest keys for uh, this game, the storylines for this for this ball game? Uh, well, as our outstanding reporters touched on earlier this week, turnovers is going to be huge, obviously. Yeah. And then the other the other big thing, obviously, is is uh, avoiding sacks. You know, with Tennessee's defensive line and the issues that Alabama has been having over and over and over again. Um, I, I I think on paper this game definitely favors uh, the Crimson Tide, but it's just you know Melrose has got to get comfortable and he's he's got to a, a you know he's got to avoid um you know when when he bails he often bails the same place and teams are now beginning to scheme for that you know so um I I think it's going to be very interesting to see if Alabama comes out and tries to start pounding the ball right off the bat, or if they're going to wait for a while. Uh, but that's you know in the the dynamics of the of the matchups and so forth. It, it, those are the two things. And so you know it's, it's cliche, you, you know turnovers and and pass rush. We talk about it over and over and over again. But uh, in this case, it's definitely that's one two to me. All right, so I'm really uh, kind of uh, stealing from everybody a little bit, but I'm going to go with Tim Keenan, Justin Aboigby, and Jaheim Otis as really your biggest, uh, your big, your most important players because, you know, Tennessee last year spreads you out way wide. You've got to be able to stop the run with just your three guys, and you have to give Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell a chance to rush the passer, and you do that by really having strong interior play. I think Tim Keenan has been a breath of fresh air for the Alabama defensive line. Jaheim Otis maybe started a little slower, but obviously he was – was hampered by small injury. I think uh, Justin Boigby, his return from last year's neck injury has been so crucial. You saw him get us. Uh, you saw him what SEC co-defensive lineman of the week against A and M get the get the safety, force the safety, and get a sack. I think those three guys, if they can win their matchups will put Alabama into such a strong position to win the game. And, and really, on top of that, if you look at the new version of uh, the 2023 Cheetah Package, it is absolutely evil. You've got one of those defensive linemen, whether it be Otis or Boigby, gets in there. Sometimes it's Jamarian Latham. You throw out Chris Braswell, Dallas Turner, and Quandarius Robinson as your three edge guys. Well, Q will either play on the edge or he'll drop into the middle linebacker. You bring in Deontay Lawson, who's already on the field anyways, but Deontay usually drops into an edge, and they put Caleb Downs as the interior kind of inside linebacker hole position player. 
the athleticism that goes into I know everybody got likes Will Will Anderson and loved what he did for the program, but the combined athleticism of that unit I think is much more effective than last year's unit. And so I think you're gonna see that a lot. If Alabama can force Tennessee into third and long by playing good on first and second down, you slow down the offense, uh, and then you're able to get into your sub package, and that way you can get after Joe Milton and force him into making some bad decisions. Hopefully, ideally, we'll see. So we're at right about 45, and it's time to make some picks. I've got, what, one, two, three, four SEC matchups. Obviously, Alabama and Tennessee makes for the fifth, and I've got three bonus games on the board with national implications. So we'll do it kind of like we did last week. We'll go right around the board. We'll go Katie, Wyatt, Chris, and then we'll flip around and go Chris, Wyatt, Katie, uh, and we'll uh, start with Mississippi State and Arkansas, the bottom of the barrel in the SEC West, <laughs> two teams that Alabama has already defeated. Katie Wyndham. Mississippi State is on the road at Arkansas. Will the Hogs get their first SEC win at home under Coach Pittman this year? Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think this is obviously it's a must win for Arkansas if they want to get to a bowl game this season, um, which I think ideally coming into the year, they would have been playing for a little bit more than that. But the way the schedule's gone uh, this year, it hasn't. So I'm going to say Arkansas wins at home. Why Fulton? I think, you know, Arkansas Arkansas is heavy on my heart here. My wife is an Arkansas fan, so last week was very stressful for me in the stadium. But I, I do think uh, Arkansas gets their first SEC win at home this this week. You know, if they if if Arkansas loses as Pittman drops to two or excuse me ten and twenty one in the SEC, which he's a better coach than that, but. Um, I, you know, what makes this this one kind of tough is is I was really impressed with Mississippi State when when Alabama faced it um, um, earlier this season. I, I'm going to go with the home team. I'm going to go with Arkansas. I don't feel good about it, but uh, I, I, I'm kind of like with Katie. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll make it four for four going with the hub. I'm more confident <laughs> than probably the other three. I think Arkansas – you know, Coach Saban convinced me. I, know, I thought he was doing a little coach speak last week. They're better than their record. No, he convinced me, and, and Arkansas convinced me by playing through the second half, really winning the second half 15-3. to three. I think Arkansas uh, gets their first SEC win this weekend. All right, we're going South Carolina at Missouri. Shane Beamer with his broken foot going to, <laughs> going to the other Columbia. Chris Walsh, how do you feel about South Carolina at Missouri? I uh, like Missouri, big time. They've got it going. Um, you know, if you watch the game with Kentucky, it was it was kind of interesting because it was all Kentucky. Arkansas does a fake punt, and it worked beautifully. Um, first pass a guy had ever thrown at the collegiate level, and he nails <laughs> he hits the guy basically in stride. Um, and yeah, it's it's homecoming in Missouri. They've got a lot going. Um, two weeks from now, they've got Georgia with a bye in between. So yeah, I'm 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 buying that uh, that uh, the Tigers are going to pull this off and and keep it going. Why Fulton? I'm drinking the Missouri Kool Aid. They've got a really good offense, and I, I really like what Eli Drinkowitz and Brady Cook have been doing over there. And I just think that they've got a little too much. South Carolina not quite living up to expectations this year. Yeah, I picked Mizzou last week. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with them, especially at home against South Carolina. Chris, real quick, and I, I don't know, 
I think we're going to find out a lot about SEC coaches with this game because I, I don't know if you guys saw it. Shane Beamer said that he broke his foot. He was kicking a, kicking a Gatorade bottle. Okay, if you're Missouri, how many how many balls do you throw near where he's standing on the sideline? <laughs> he said he's not taking any pain medication because he doesn't want to call a strange call on fourth down and, and impact the game. Uh, I'm going with Missouri as well. I do not. Uh, I, I don't have a whole lot of respect for Coach Beamer as a head coach. I think he's a good little football coach. I think he's got a good football mind, obviously football pedigree. But his, uh, the broken foot, the way he talks in the media, he just doesn't seem like he has very good emotional control, and that gets into uh, – I think that affects the team. Uh, I'm going with Missouri as well, and I think Shane Beamer may not be long for the – maybe may on the future Alabama analyst list uh, here pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> we'll and let's just, let's just hope that he doesn't take his shirt off and wave it around in the air like another coach, <laughs> you know. We'll keep it rolling. Number 13 Ole Miss at Auburn. Auburn got their tails whipped last week down in Death Valley. Uh, a certain writer in the uh, in the state of Alabama suggested that uh, Lane Kiffin should be fired if he loses to Auburn this weekend. Katie Wendham, you're first up. Are you taking the Lane train or does uh, Hugh Freeze get themselves get, get uh, what? That'll be their first SEC win. Yeah, uh, yeah. They lost to AM, lost to Georgia, lost to uh, LSU. Will they get their first SEC win? I don't think so. I don't think the Auburn offense can keep up with the Ole Miss uh, offense. I I think it might be a little closer than people think. Someone told me, which I haven't fact-checked this. This is what I was trying to look up really quick, uh, that Ole Miss has only won at Jordan-Hare like three times ever or something yeah. like that. Um, I was looking that up right now, yeah. Yeah, so I think, yeah, they've only won. They have a 3-17 and 17 record at Auburn. So it might be a little closer than people think, but I just don't because the Auburn crowd will be hyped. They're looking for that first SEC win, but I watched a lot of that Auburn LSU game when I was uh, last Saturday in this Auburn offense. They just, I don't see how they can keep up with Ole Miss. They stinky. Yeah. They're not good. <laughs> with the uh, <laughs> <laughs> Auburn is a freaky environment, first off. I don't know what they've done at Jordan Hare to make that environment just so tough to play in, but it is difficult. You know, Ole Miss is kind of getting that same voodoo treatment that Alabama gets whenever they go to Jordan-Hare. It's a night game in de- or it's a night game in Jordan-Hare. Auburn's a different animal at night. If they go with Robbie Ashford, I like Auburn's chances. I just don't think they're going to go with Robbie Ashford, so I'm going to take Ole Miss in that offense. It's kind of a weird answer, but everything with with Auburn's weird. So I mean, it's, it's very <laughs> fitting. Um, so well done, uh, the Hugh Freeze Bowl. Uh, exactly. I, it, you know, it's going to be. There's going to be some extra on this uh, for for that alone. Uh, yeah, the Auburn crowd I think is going to be uh, going to be interesting on this one, but uh, I, I just don't see Lane coming up short on this one. Ole Miss has got too much. Uh, going in, in in its direction, so I'm I'm taking uh, I'm taking the lane train. I'm taking uh, Joey Freshwater. There we go. <laughs> We're going four for four with Ole Miss, and another just weird aspect is when Auburn was looking for their new coach, Lane Kiffin was at the very top of their list and had a little flirtation. Is he going to leave Ole Miss? So it's going to be interesting. That'll be a lot of fun to watch. Maybe we'll catch the second half uh, or maybe the fourth quarter after Alabama and Tennessee finishes. I'm going to Ole Miss as well. Uh, an easy pick, but just a fun game. Our Army is going to LSU. The only real uh, point. 
I want to make or a question I want to ask is how appropriate do you guys feel that it is that LSU is painting their end zones camouflage in honor of hosting Army? I know it's Army and obviously the service academies, but uh, not very often you see the home team paying homage or paying respect, you know, on the field for the for the opposition. And just a funny quip, will that make it difficult for either team to find the end zone? Do you want me to start? Anybody, because uh, I think everybody's taking LSU. Yeah, obviously LSU. I don't know. It's funny because anytime teams wear military appreciation jerseys or, you know, Alabama baseball, even more the camo hats for the last, what, month or two of last season, people always joke about one team respecting the troops more. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's a nice touch. It would make more sense if it was like, uh, you know, Veterans Day weekend or something like that. But I don't have anything wrong with it. I wish I, Alabama would schedule the military schools. I really do. I I, I think uh, home and home in the Army and Navy, I think would be wonderful at, at some point down the line. I, I I've written that before. I, I maybe some you know if I ever you know whenever I see our athletic director again, I might mention it, <laughs> see if and, and try to gauge his interest. So I love that. I love that LSU was doing this. Um, you know, end zones. Eh, sure, why not? You know, it'd be, it'd be kind of cool. So like they did camouflage, like real camouflage of one, and like the LSU colors camouflage style at another. Although that, you know, that might be too bright. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> All right, so let's go to the outside games, outside of the SEC, before we finish with Alabama and Tennessee. Penn State, number seven Penn State, is going to Ohio State. Both teams undefeated. We'll do Penn State, Ohio State, just so you're ready. Duke at Florida State and Utah at USC. Those will be our three outside the box, outside the SEC games. Uh, Chris Walsh, we'll start with you. Penn State at Ohio State, uh, big, big 10 matchup. Huge game. Uh, quick answer on this one. I'm not going with Penn State until I see them actually win a really big game. Mm-hmm. Uh, like this. So uh, Ohio State's home. I I, I I think right now they're the better team. Uh, we'll pull it out with a field goal or something like that. Yeah, home game for Ohio State. Both these teams are really good defensively. It's uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. has struggled with drops this season. I think he had three last week against Purdue. So not quite the offensive output that you're hoping Ohio State would have, but Penn State doesn't win these big games on the road and things like that. They've only beaten Ohio State, I think, once since like 2015. So I'm going Ohio State here. Yeah, I'm with Chris and Wyatt. It seems like Penn State never step up to the moment in these big games. Uh, Admittedly, I don't think I've watched Penn State at all this year. I've watched Ohio State a little bit, but uh, I'm going to go with the Buckeyes at home. O-H-I-O, we'll go four for four, and uh, Ryan Day can talk about uh, Lou Holtz a little bit more. All right, Duke (laughs) at Florida State. Will Florida State falter? Florida State's looking like if they continue to uh, do what they're doing, they might be one of the four in the playoff. Katie Wyndham, will the Duke Blue Devils pull off an upset? You know what? Why not? Just spiced up. We've been going with the home team a lot so far. The favorites. Duke has a good quarterback. Um They've shown some good things this season, had you know, the one tough loss. So am I super confident in this pick? No, but why not? Just switch it up a little bit. I'll go Duke on the road. I'll be controversial here. I'm going to take Florida State. Riley Leonard is still dealing with that high ankle sprain he suffered in Duke's uh, first and as of right now, I believe, only loss of the season. Uh, he might return, but 
the biggest thing for him is going to be is how close is he to 100%. And I think even if he if he's this questionable to play at this point in the week, he's not going to be anywhere near 100% for the game. I'm taking the Seminoles. I'm taking the Seminoles as well. It's Duke. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go. We'll, we'll leave Katie Wendham on an island, and I'll take Florida State as well. All right, last outside-the-box game, Utah, number 14, Utah at USC. Chris Walsh, how are we feeling about that big Pac-12 matchup? I really, really, really want to pick Utah. This, this is this by far to me is the toughest pick of the three. Um, it's, it's. I keep looking for USC's defense. That just kind of tells you where we're at there. Uh, I think Utah is always more fundamentally sound. Um, I wonder if we're going to see Cam Rising maybe as well. So uh, it'll be kind of interesting. I, I'm going to pick USC, but I really, I. I, I don't feel good about it at all. I, I, I would definitely take the points of this if I was a betting person. This is where I'll differ from Chris. I'm going to take Utah. Utah's a really physical team, especially for the Pac-12. And as we saw last week, as we saw against Utah twice last year, a Lincoln-Riley team gets punched in the mouth and they don't know how to respond. I think Utah's going to do that again. And it'll be tight, but I do think Utah pulls it. I'm kind of like Chris. I've been looking for USC's defense, but Utah's offense has been bad so far this year. I just looked at their like scoring output, and I don't know if they've scored more than 20, like or out of the 20s range, like once. But if Cam Rising comes back, that'll help. Uh, I think I'm going to go with USC though at home. All right, we'll make it nice and split. I'll take Utah. I'll take Utah to uh, to kind of pull off the upset and leave USC what two losses in a row. All right, so we're at the uh, the business end. Number 11, Alabama is hosting number 17, Tennessee. Alabama, nine-and-a-half-point favorite. We'll treat Chris Walsh like the Kirk Street. No picks for Chris Walsh, but give us your final analysis on Alabama-Tennessee as we wrap up this football Friday. Uh, I, you know, it's, I think the revenge factor is definitely um, going to be in play here. I think Alabama is going to be geared up for it. Uh, and, you know, we're going to get some more shove the ball down their throats uh, offense uh, if, if they can pull it off. So I think uh, Alabama fans are looking for a little payback and, and they got a little bit of a reminder that, um, you know, college football isn't quite as easy as it as as they kind of anticipate. Great atmosphere. Should be a lot of fun. Wyatt Fulton, last time, uh, last comments and your pick, Alabama and Tennessee. Last comments. This is really just going to come down to the trenches. And we say that, you know, just about every week, but really and truly the trench play is where this is going to be is where this is going to be make or break. I've got Alabama winning. I'm going to say 28 to 21. Mm, we like that. Katie Wyndham, you'll be in Brian Denny stadium in the press box right there for BamaCentral.com, leading all of our coverage. How are we feeling about uh, the third Saturday in October? I think Alabama's going to win. I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to pick them to cover this week uh, because I feel like when I've done that, they've I've been wrong. So, which means they probably will cover. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm with why I think it'll probably be in that seven point range. I feel like nine and a half is, is a little high. Um, but then again, like we talked about earlier, if Alabama is able to force uh, Joe Milton into some mistakes and turnovers, I think they do cover. But um, I'm going to go with Alvin Wins, but doesn't cover. Oh, gosh, I've been thinking about it all week long. I guess I'm down to n- nailing down the pick. I'm going with Alabama as well. Uh, so we'll go three for three, taking the tide to win. 
I think the revenge factor, as Chris alluded to, is going to be too large. And I think that, you know, you'll get just one more mistake out of Joe Milton than you will out of Jalen Milrow. Maybe Milrow takes more sacks, but Milton turns the ball over more. I think that's going to be kind of like which mistake is more deadly, taking sacks or turning the ball over. Uh, if you can let James Burnett punt the ball uh, away to Tennessee rather than Jalen Milrow throw the ball to Tennessee and set them up on the 10-yard line like he did against Texas, oh, I think that's a better odds for you. All right, I'm going. Uh, oh, I'm going to the Alabama's going to cover. I think Alabama's going to cover. I'm going 31. I'm going 31-20. 31-20. I think you're going to get a couple bombs over the top, and you get the cover on the last drive or two. I think it's going to be close all the way throughout. It's going to be a lot of fun on Saturday. Alabama covers. Alabama wins. You go into a bye week. We're going to have a lot of fun on the bye week at BamaCentral.com, talking about a lot of interesting things, probably highlighting some basketball a little bit more as we're, what, 18 days away from basketball season, getting rolling away for women's and men's. We were up in Birmingham for both days uh, talking to or hearing from Nate Oates and talking to Christy Curry. If you missed any of those episodes, you can check them out on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, right there at Bama Central's YouTube channel, or subscribe, rate, and review us at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and uh, Amazon on your favorite uh, podcast platforms. You can check out all those interviews. Big thanks to Greg Sankey and Coach Wimp Sanderson joining us uh, just a little bit. Greg Sankey was a little reluctant, but he gave me some of his time. It was great. I really appreciate that so, so much. You're going to be able to follow Katie Wyndham, Austin Hannon, who else? Blake Byler, Edwin Stanton. You got five, right? So is it Matthew jumping in the press box or someone else? Will Miller. Will Miller. Oh, my man, Will Miller. You'll be able to follow everybody over at Bama Central uh, right there in the press box. We'll have live updates right there at BamaCentral.com, and we'll have all kinds of coverage pre and post. We'll let you know what Malachi Moore, Tresman Marshall, and everybody else who's kind of banged up, what their status is early in the day. Uh, you can check it out at live updates. And then, of course, you can follow us after the game. We'll be in the room with Nick Saban. We'll be in the room with Josh Heifel. Uh, win or lose uh, for either side, we'll Cover it uh, very, very well at BamaCentral.com and set you up for the bye week next week. Everybody gets a little bit of a breather. Coach Saban said he's going to the lake on Thursday night next week, going to the lake Thursday night, going to be watching film from Thursday night, celebrating his birthday. Last thing, real quick, what would you get Coach Coach Saban uh, for his birthday, Katie Wyndham, if you can get him anything? I don't know. I can't even ever figure out what to get my dad for his birthday because he gets whatever he wants for himself. And I feel like Saban's the same way. I mean, heck, he was talking to Mac yesterday about trading Ferrari. So I don't think I have anything in my budget for <laughs> well, Coach Saban's birthday is next week, and we'll have to see what we all get him from the beat uh, next week on the on uh, for, for his birthday. We'll check we'll check him out. Still on Monday, he'll be up in Birmingham, I believe. So Austin Hannon will be up there uh, for that little bit, and it'll be a lot of fun to cover him on the bye week. We'll get out of here for the day. Make sure you follow us at Bama Central on Twitter slash X at Bama Central SI on Instagram at Alabama Crimson and Tide on Sports Illustrated on Facebook. You can follow Katie Windham at Katie Windham Monday underscore at Wyatt Fulton at Fulton W underscore for him on the X machine at writing Walsh for Chris Walsh as well. I am at Joe Gaither six. This has been another edition of the Joe Gaither show on Bama central and Bama central.com. We'll keep it rolling next week. It's a bye week, but we will still have a full week right here at Bama central and Bama central.com.